You're listening to a special focus on breast cancer from Advances in Women's Health, sponsored by Lilly. Coming to you from the Lynn Sage Breast Cancer Symposium in Chicago, Illinois, this is ReachMD. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Joining me today is Kelly Shoy, a nurse practitioner specializing in breast oncology at the University of Michigan. Kelly is also a candidate for the diaconate of the Episcopal Church and the ways in which her spirituality and medical expertise of 27 years in the oncology field blend to enhance breast cancer care will become the focus of our conversation today. So, Kelly, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me to speak. <laughs> yeah, thanks for, for joining us. So from your vantage point, just to, to get a, a basic level grounding, what is the state of breast cancer care in daily practice today? Are we as a field in the breast oncology space firing on all cylinders, or is there some rust still in the gears that needs to be addressed? Well, there's always rust in the gear when you have a certain amount of time to see so many patients. And I think the the more therapies that we are coming up with as we have been presented at this conference, the more complex these patients get and the sicker they get. And so there's multifactorial things that affect their quality of life. And But we are limited on how much time we have to spend with patients. And so as the institution as a whole is pushing to go faster and see more, revenue driving, it's it's really making it challenging for us clinicians to provide what I feel the care that these patients need. And that's a holistic approach to care, meaning that it does take a lot of time to address the physical issues that patients go through with treatment, as well as how it affects them psychologically, spiritually, and also the social aspect of it, right? How is it affecting their family, their jobs, and everything else? So there's like almost a fourth aspect that I think of as, as a holistic a part of care. So uh, that's the challenges I feel that I'm being faced with right now as a clinician in breast cancer. There's so much to someone, but limited time to address it all. So how do I prioritize what I need to address in a given given appointment? And I find that sometimes that the major need could be a spiritual need, and then that takes a lot of the time, and then I still have to address all the other side effect things that are, they're experiencing with their treatment. So it's that balance. Right. And on that idea of the time, balance, prioritization, what does a typical day look like for you in your practice? And is that even a misnomer of a term, to have a typical day, quote-unquote? There's never a typical day. As I try to drive in and center myself and expectation of what my day is going to look like, it will take one patient complication or mental health issue or spiritual health that will derail what I want to keep going as a, as a normal day. And when you are an independent clinician, I do not see patients with a physician. I have my own independent clinics. We are like tandem. You know, he has his own and I have my own. You get one derailment and then I am derailed for the rest of the morning or afternoon. It's, you know, how to make that time up and, and how to, you know, give each patient to me equal time because everybody needs time with you. And so how do you not shortchange someone who might be doing better than, you know, someone else. So <laughs> I don't know if that answered your question or not. <laughs> there is no typical day. There is no typical there, you day. You know, and I have to remind myself that when I'm preparing mentally for my day that, you know, something's going to come up and you're going to be okay. You, you, you'll adjust. And really honest with my patients about, I just had a very difficult conversation with the patient before and I'm sorry to make you wait, you know, trying to to give them clear understanding that um, they are important too. And here I am to be present for them. That's interesting, and, and and very much shared by many of your colleagues that I speak to. 
Um, another question that comes up then is, given your independence in uh, the clinical practice, but also a very tight partnership with other clinicians, including the, the doctor you spoke of, what is it like working on a multidisciplinary team with a fair amount of independence, but also uh, trying to work together with different areas of expertise or different levels of specialization in order to deliver the best care for your patients? What's that like? It can be challenging at times. There's times that I get caught up in, uh, should I get some patient care stuff done or do I need to go to these multidisciplinary meetings? At the University of Michigan, we do meet every Monday and go over all uh, clinical trials and accrual and how they're doing on them and what new patients have we identified could be candidates for. So it helps me remember all the different options that patients have and treatment options. It's really hard to stay up on all the different options, but that's a great way to do that and have discussion about difficult clinical cases with our specific breast oncologist. Um, we also have a multidisciplinary tumor board when we're talking, when we're meeting with surgeons and radiation oncology and, all, and everybody else to hear what's going on and what's the best treatment for a patient. Uh, it really takes a lot of, lot of time and, and energy. And I think that the key is, is that we get comfortable sometimes with what we know, but there's times that we don't know things. And I think when you have colleagues to be able to run things by, and I will do that with my you know, nurse practitioner colleagues or other physicians if my doctor is not around, to say, hey, what do you think about, I'm sensing something's changing, you know, how would you handle this and how do you handle this? Because, you know, it's hard to keep up on everything. Everything's changing so quickly. So we do need each other, I think, to provide the most optimal care. Well, certainly as evinced by this conference where even those with 30-plus years of experience are probably looking at the slides and uh, with their eyes wide open, uh, mouths open and agape, wondering, um, you know, where did that come from? I wasn't completely up to date on that. That's pretty amazing. So, um, But let me turn over to the idea of working with administrations, too, because you mentioned there's always going to be a drive for revenue. There's going to be a drive for cost monitoring. It's going to be a drive for trying to standardize practices with algorithms that are coming maybe from elsewhere but need to cascade down to the, to the practice level. What are those interactions like for you as an advanced practice clinician? You know, I have been pushing at the institution, uh, University of Michigan, to there always seems to be a disconnect between the advanced practice providers and the physicians, and we never meet together. And so when you're hearing changes coming down the pipe of, you know, RVUs, uh, and that's a numbers uh, type of uh, calculation for um, what they give us for benchmarks and how many, you know, I don't know exactly what RBU stands for. It's revenue something uh, unit. Uh, but we don't hear the same things the physicians are. And so, you know, we are being asked to practice kind of like independent clinicians. I'm not saying we are physicians, but we have our own independent clinics and billing independently. But we're not hearing the same um, information from administration. So I have been pushing to have joint meetings with all us clinicians who are asked to see patients and generate revenue and bill together so we're hearing the same things. I'm someone who pushes back and I, you know, always want to, you know, tell administration that just come walk in my shoes. Feel free to come shadow me on a given day and you might understand a little bit more of the of why I'm pushing back of numbers are not the the end all be all of of patient care and 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 I think outcomes will be affected if that's what we're pushing. Because um, not every patient is, uh, the acuity is not the same. So if I have a stage four breast cancer patient, they're much more complicated than someone who's on, you know, tamoxifen for f- two or three years in a, in a curative setting. Um, so, you, you know, there are days I'll have 13 stage four patients and it's, it's intense. <laughs> it's a lot of work. 
but you're asking me to see 16 in a day. That's the benchmark. Um, yeah. That's a lot. So. And certainly coming back to the holistic mm-hmm. lens on your mm-hmm. practice, mm-hmm. every patient has a very different set of needs from a holistic care standpoint. So maybe we can dive right into that and talk about some of your views as somebody who is working towards becoming ordained, blending these two elements of your practice. What is that like for you? Are there any pain points in trying to bring your spiritual views into your clinical ones? You know, it's always that fine line. I don't ever want the institution I work for to think I'm proselytizing. And, you know, that's, and I think that's the key of any clinician. And I've, I've done talks with the clinicians, including, you know, nurses to, to advanced practice providers, to doctors uh, on spirituality. And you don't have to be religious or overly spiritual to address it and assess it and get the support that a patient needs. And so my main goal um, is to educate clinicians to at least assess it, at least as a new patient, the social history is a great place to do it. You know, are you spiritual? And the first thing things patients say to me is, no, I'm not religious or I don't go to church, you know, and I, and I, you know, then have further conversation. It's not about being religious. It's about being, what connects you? to your meaning and purpose. And once I get that baseline assessment in my note, I know in the back of my head that this is important or not important or what's important to them spiritually. A lot of people in the Midwest are uh, religious. They are in Michigan, in the area in Ann Arbor. A lot of them are Catholic. A lot of hurt has happened in the church, so a lot of people have lots of negative feelings. But teasing that out about how they're now looking at their own spirituality in a setting of a cancer diagnosis is huge. No matter what stage of cancer you have, you think about dying. You think about what that's going to, you know, Im- how that's going to impact your whole life. And there are some patients that say, Kelly, I'm not going to leave this appointment until you pray with me before I go down to chemotherapy. I've sang with patients. I have prayed with my non-Christian. It doesn't matter. It's what's important to them and how can I connect that with them. And a part of the assessment is, are you spiritual and or religious? How does that affect your decision making? Do you have a community that supports you? And then how can I be a part of that? How do you try to be a part of that in general to affect that community sense for a patient when they are isolated? Yeah, getting a sense of who do they interact with. Is it their synagogue or their parish or whatever term or the quilting club or whoever, you know, whoever that community is, making sure that that they're still interacting with them. Because when you do get diagnosed, you're just on survival mode. You know, are you is, is your church or synagogue, are they reaching out to you? Are you still going to church? Are you having some theological struggles? Because there's so many times that we don't use a chaplain. A chaplain is not, you know, uh, Christian-based. Gonna, you know, they can deal with all the theological distressors that patient. Why am I going through this? Where is God? I'm angry. There's lots of questions. There's lots of red flags that we just gloss over. And what we do in medicine is we always address these, what we think lesser than important things at the end of the visit, <laughs> when sometimes that's the main thing on a patient's mind. So what the first thing I do when I see a patient is just check in with them. How are you doing? How is life? And, and the cancer is the last thing that I address. I mean, their cancer treatment, you know, and it's one of those things that I just how's your son or how's your dog whatever's important to them i remember that and just check in 
And checking is such a great operative word because that can be applied towards the idea of checking a review of systems yes. at the very end or in the middle embedded right. into your, right. your history. I don't even look at those. I mean, I know that patients will be like, well, I wrote this down. I'm like, I'm just, I want you to tell me what you're experiencing. Because there's so many times they put nothing on the review of systems when there's so much going on. And now we have these spiritual distress, you know, things that we're using uh, or spiritual psychological distressors that we're having. Who doesn't have that with the cancer diagnosis? And there's so much more than what people put down or what they don't put down. Um, so I'm more about talking. I'm more about relationship, you know, trying to understand where they're at. Um, there's so much to talk about in these visits, but I think it's getting the sense of, I can't, and someone reminded me, the best way to approach patients is, I can't cover all the things that you may need today. What are the top two or three that are important to you? And that's a good way, and i got to remember that myself. What's important to them? Yeah, and in, in a system that that requires that uh, based on the the patient demand, the volume, how do you try to find peace with that? It's hard. It really, and that's probably one of the biggest challenges of my job and the the biggest, I I call it empathic fatigue. I don't call it compassion fatigue. I mean, I think I walk in the shoes with people and I really get into, you know, what they're feeling and I, and, um, it's hard. I think self-care is the challenge for any healthcare provider is, um, sometimes I'll walk away, okay, I think some differences were made in someone's journey of cancer, and there's other times I feel I failed, and that's, it's it's hard. It's That's a really good question, and it's something that, and the system does not build any time for me as a clinician to breathe during a day. Um, there's no lunchtime. Uh, there's always things coming in. It's not a, just about the direct patient care. I have all the indirect patient care I'm responsible for now as we have gone into the electronic medical record and patients can portal in with their concerns. Um, and you can imagine what the portal messages lengths are like at times. Um, and there's so much to address um, beyond non-patient care. And that's another pushback with administration that I'm, I'm like, you, you want me to see 16 patients, at, you know, almost most of the days. But how about the other stuff coming in, like lab results, like scan results, like <laughs> all the other stuff? And, and that is a narrative that is shared among every practice level that we speak to. That's right. And even making time for education, which I have to applaud you, you're here. You are making time to advance your practice in the best possible way. But you also alluded to the fact that in conferences such as these, as dedicated as they are to breast cancer, as dedicated as they are to uh, finding what's new, trending, and needed for optimizing patient care, there are gaps, especially at the advanced practice level. As an advanced practice clinician, what are some of those gaps and what would you love to see in continuing education going forward? Where do we have a conference that's simply breast cancer focused, because we have one of the largest numbers of cancers, this breast cancer, and what about focusing on these are the approved treatments and these are the side effects, the management of all of them. There's so many different ways to manage um, nausea, bombing, diarrhea, you know, how can we learn from each other? Example is that I just really realized that after we've been on an oral chemotherapy that you don't have to keep checking labs every month. You actually can go to every three. That's a lot less for a patient to have to do going every month versus every, you know, so sharing information and how we treat patients, I think are, is very helpful. Just like you said, you use your colleagues to figure out other ways to better manage patients. But these conferences just throw out all the, you know, 
trials and, you know, all those plots. And I understand physicians like that data, and that's what they need. But I think for us who are coming to learn more about breast cancer, how do we better manage these patients with these toxic drugs that are coming out? We are keeping you alive a lot longer, but we're not with what quality of life. We don't do certain treatments because it's not going to improve their overall survival, but how about their survival when they're alive? Is it going to improve their lives if they had their mass removed? For some of my younger patients, that's what drives them absolutely um, to anxiety levels uh, that are so high because they know that this cancer is sitting in their breast. That's hard to live with every day. You, I might not be able to provide you any change in your overall, but how about what quality I can provide you while you're still here? So I just that just came to my mind sitting in that last talk about the stage four and when do we use aggressive therapy? Who are we to decide? It's their journey. You have places to be, many things to do, but any other thoughts for our healthcare professionals um, of all practice levels who are in the thick of it, just like you are, treating patients with breast cancer, anything that you'd want to impart to them that uh, you find is imperative for making your practice work? I think the number one thing is remembering self-care. And it's really hard in a, in a, in a system that drives us uh, with revenue and, and that we, we're all in this because we care deeply about human beings. We all have different approaches. Physicians have their own role, and I have no idea what it's like to be a physician when someone's looking at you like, are you giving me no more treatment options? That's hard. We have raised physicians up to this level um, in this society of cure, and that's the oath that they take, you know, and it's hard. Looking at and understanding each and everyone's role in the patient's experience, from physician down to house, whatever, everybody cares about people they wouldn't be there and uh, self-care talking to each other appreciating each other we're all so quick to criticize but how about appreciating each and everybody's role and and what they bring Um, just because you have lots of letters after your name doesn't mean that you're actually an expert in how to take care of someone Um, and we have to remember that and be humble be humble know what you don't know because that gets you in trouble when you think you know it all so we have to remember what we don't know and ask. That's why we have colleagues. But unfortunately, what I'm sensing is we're becoming more silos and not, and we're just all in survival mode. And that really concerns me that we're, we're really going to burn out. Um, and um, I personally thought about leaving myself. I don't know what more I can continue to do at the level that I'm doing. And so how do I find that balance and not leave the field that I do love so much? So thank you for the time today. I have to say from one colleague to another, I am humbled by your uh, wisdom on these matters. You have a wonderful perspective. I'm pulling for you to find that balance as we all are looking for and to continue striving to bring that holistic care into your practice because clearly your patients are benefiting from it. Um, Very much want to thank you for your time. Thank you. I've been speaking with Kelly Shoy from the University of Michigan about holistic practice uh, in the care of patients with breast cancer. For more access to this and other episodes specializing in breast cancer care, visit ReachMD.com, where you can join the conversation and be part of the knowledge. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to this special focus on breast cancer from Advances in Women's Health. To revisit any part of this discussion and to access other episodes in this series, visit ReachMD.com slash Advances in Women's Health where you can join the conversation and be part of the knowledge. Thank you for listening.